swinging for grandma? Hi. <laughs> Today's a good day for Teresa Landrum because she and her granddaughter can do something that a lot of us might take for granted. And it's not stinky. We can breathe today. We want breathable, clean air. They can breathe. Teresa's lived in Detroit her whole life, and she's come to cherish these good days. I mean, yeah, it don't stink today. It don't, see? You see? You hear that? Don't stink today. We're having a good day. Because on a bad day, if the wind is blowing in the wrong direction, things out here can get much worse. We're right in the shadows of Marathon Oil Refinery, and we're right by I-75. And this is the backdrop that we see every day. Teresa lives in an area of southwest Detroit, a zip code called 48217. It's infamous for being the most polluted zip code in the state of Michigan. And it's not just the oil refinery and the highway that's sending all of these chemicals up into the air. There's also a coal-fired power plant just a few miles away. And right in the center of all of this is Teresa's community. And here we have a soccer field, we have a baseball field, we have a walking track, we have a children's playground, and you have a hub, uh, the life of the community sitting right here in the shadows of an oil refinery. So I don't see where there's a healthy part to any of this. 48217 may feel far away to some, but the issues that face this community aren't contained by the boundaries of the zip code. So we have a saying and we have a mural painted that says, pollution has no boundaries. The impacts of dirty energy can be felt everywhere. Bad air, poisoned water, hotter temperatures, changing climate. For a lot of people, these issues can feel overwhelming, scary even. It's easy to lose hope. But for all of the problems out there, there are still a lot of people working to make things better. What keeps me going is because I love life. I love my community. I love my family. I've seen what we've been able to do through good science, good research. People are mobilizing in the streets. I'm Precious Brady Davis, and this is season three of The Land I Trust, a special podcast series from the Sierra Club that brings you to the front porches, backyards, churches, synagogues, government offices, and farms of people whose lives have been upended by dirty energy and are fighting for a better future. The first two seasons of the podcast took us to the southeast and out west. This season, we're going to a part of the country close to my heart. It's what some might call the heartland, or what the uninformed might call flyover country. And it's the place of my origin. I grew up in a God-fearing home. I was an adopted child, raised in the metropolitan city of Omaha in the red state of Nebraska. As a trans woman of color living in Chicago, I'm extremely aware of how these places have changed and shaped me as much as I've changed and shaped them. Anywhere I go, I change the culture. I leave the place better than I found it. And I think that's how we should treat the environment. That's the story of a lot of the people we'll meet this season. We talked to folks from Oklahoma and Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, 
Indiana, and the great state of Illinois. These people weren't born activists or environmentalists. They're just regular people who care about safety, about justice, human rights, and the world we're leaving for future generations. And even though these people are all fighting the same fight, they're all completely different. Trust me, it's not just the hippie tree huggers or the the Patagonia-wearing, vegan backpacking types. As a trans woman of color, when I envision being an environmentalist, I don't think only of forests and nature, but of social justice in a broader sense. A total and all-encompassing justice that is only legitimate when it touches on all aspects of life equally in balance. I think of Shirley Chisholm, the first Black woman elected to the United States Congress, who once said, service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. That kind of service can take many different forms. Direct action, stewardship, social activism. Something I like to say is, I live, which means to be fully present and conscious of self, the environment, and ultimately, the planet. Now let's get back to Southwest Detroit. Teresa Landrum's been fighting for environmental justice. She's been doing this for a long time. But when she was a kid, she saw her neighborhood much differently. Growing up in Southwest Detroit, to me, was a haven of of safety and love and friendship. Everybody knew everybody. We had gardens, gardens in every yard. Our streets were shaded. The trees were so close that they seemed to hug each other. So I would catch butterflies and caterpillars and grasshoppers and things like that. When our parents would go to work, we thought our dads were presidents because they wore suits. They wore their white shirt, they wore their tie, they wore their two-piece suit or they wore their three-piece suit with their suspenders and their hats. When they left to go to work, we didn't know they worked in a factory because when they got to their job, they changed their clothes into their coveralls and their steel-toed boots. And of course, as a kid, you don't know the responsibilities of the world. And then when you grow up to be an adult, then you see what happens. You know, your shoulders are just bogged down with responsibilities. My mother started to get a cough. I was about nine years old. And um, she started to lose her voice. And it ended up my mother had throat cancer. My dad had a terrible cough, too. The neighbors had terrible coughs. Um, People started to get sick, and we didn't know why. And most of the people on my street and my block worked in the industries around here over like a 30 to 40 year period growing up. The neighbors started to get sick. People were having lung cancer. Um, People were having leukemia, diabetes, heart disease, and things like that. And the trees and vegetation started to die. The garden started to produce a small Instead of the great fruit, big fruit and tomatoes, and they, they, the yield was small. And so my dad said, my garden is not growing good this year. We couldn't understand. But we, in our limited understanding of um, pollution and what it does to the human body, we didn't know. We thought it was normal that we always had a hazy 
kind of air on certain days. We didn't know it was fallout coming from the industry. That's a direct correlation to, to everything that I'm looking at, the factories that surrounded me and my community when I was a child to what surrounds me now as an adult. And I am here to try to better uh, the neighborhood and my community for my granddaughter. I got a granddaughter who's one years old. I want her to survive. I want her to be able to see the blue skies. I want her to see the green grass. I want her to be able to see an ocean. I want her to see fish swimming in the ocean. People say, oh, you're a community activist. No, I am just a human being trying to survive because vulnerable communities such as the ones of that mirror mine across the nation. We're the casualties of America's greed. What keeps me going is because I love life. I love my community. I love my family. I love to see the children grow. I love flowers. I love the bees. I love the grass. I love the rain. So I want to see it improved. I want to see it better. North of Detroit, north of 48217, it's a community that's also well-known in Michigan. But this one isn't known for pollution. It's known for cherries. As we walk through the orchard, um, oh, we can look across the hills, and those are all cherries you're seeing there. On a calm evening, the smell of the cherry blossoms will just wafe down in, even into the house. But... Uh, you can walk up in here, and it's just this sweet smell. This is Traverse City, Michigan. Some call it the cherry capital of the world. It produces nearly 75% of the country's tart cherries and about a fifth of our sweet cherries. It's not in a cloud of pollution like the big city, but farmers here are still feeling the effects. Farmers like Jim Nugent. Our farm is called Sun Blossom Orchards. My wife and I own it in partnership. We grow only tart and sweet cherries. We have about 44 acres of cherries. This Grand Traverse region grows a little under 50% of the nation's tart cherries. But my favorite time on the farm is uh, bloom time. When the cherries are in bloom, on a kind of a quiet day, you can hear the, the bees will be humming. We rent a lot of honeybees. And you have the combination of the sound of the bees, the aroma coming from the orchard. It's really, really wonderful smell. And the visual. Cherries are just a big ball of white. And you can look out across the hill and see the neighbors' orchards in bloom. That, to me, is just pretty spectacular. But there's a few things that I'm seeing trending in the climate. In 2002, we had an event with some record heat in uh, April. We advanced the buds beyond where they should have been. And then we got a wind. I went out to check some buds. If they're frozen, they'll turn brown. And I see them just kind of an early browning stage. I cannot find a good cherry. When it was all said and done, we harvested 1 million pounds of cherries in Northwest Michigan, where our five-year Previous five-year average was 145 million. So it was six-tenths of 1% of a crop harvested. We thought that would be the only time we'll see that in our lifetime. Now, be darned if in 2012, we didn't have 
even earlier warm-up, the sweet cherries came into bloom by March 26th, March. We were five and a half weeks ahead of normal. And so we once again ended up with um, basically no crop that year either. So uh, we've had two once-in-a-lifetime events, <laughs> those 100-year events twice in our lifetime. Uh, I'm just a farmer in my little corner of the world, but you don't have to be a scientist if you're in this business to see what's happening. It's impacting our income, our livelihood potential, but even more so, it's going to impact the potential for our the next generations. We've got three kids. We'd love to see one of those kids come back to the farm and I try to stay so optimistic. I've, I've seen what we've been able to do through good science, good research. I'm hoping that there is still a cherry industry up here. And I even more hope that this land is still producing food. The world could live without cherries, but uh, we can't live without food. Jim's trying to stay hopeful. One reason for hope can be found right in Jim's community. Traverse City has made a big commitment to fighting climate change. We were successful in getting Traverse City to be powered with 100% clean energy by 2040. And that's the first community-wide goal in all of Michigan. So we were really proud of that. That's Kate Madigan, director of the Michigan Climate Action Network. For her, what needs to happen next is pretty obvious. It's just a matter of whether or not we can get it done. I choose to think about a hopeful future where the young people and everyone that are working on climate change now are going to really push there to be the rapid solutions that we need. I'm hoping that Traverse City would help build momentum for the state to move faster. Michigan has an opportunity to lead and has a responsibility to lead. We know what we need to do. Um, the science is clear. We have the technology. We have the policies. Um, we just need the political will. And I see that we have, people are mobilizing in the streets, millions of people, like every Friday. So that to me says that we have finally have the political, we have the people power. We have the mobilization to push the political will. So it gives me a lot of hope that we can get to where we need to be. I'm Precious Brady Davis. This is the land I trust. All episodes of All Seasons are available now wherever you can get your podcast. To take action, you can go to sc.org slash divest and join the fight against dirty fossil fuels and check out the latest ways to make a difference at addup.org. And if you like what you hear, write it a review, give it some stars, tell your friends, and continue to listen often. The Land I Trust is produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum of Future Projects Media, with production help from Danielle Roth, Galen Koch, and Adil Trahan. Music by Jeff Brodsky. Mix by Dara Hirsch. The executive producer is Jeff Shaw. <laughs>